If you have a Bible with you tonight, would you like to turn with me to the book of Revelation? And it's uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will, this is good reading for a Sunday night to, to encourage you. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast to what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power to, to, over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I've been taking a, when I'm speaking in the evening, I've been looking at a series called Jesus in the Midst. And it's looking at the seven churches um, in the book of Revelation. And what we can find are that there are seven challenges. These seven churches in a place called Asia Minor, which is a long way away from here and a long and far off distant time. Asia Minor is now in the area of what we would call Turkey. And so these seven churches were uh, in a a part of the world which at that time were going through great trial, great tribulation, and were being challenged. And Jesus comes in a vision to a man called John on the Isle of Patmos, and he gives him, and he walks amongst the candlesticks, uh, and um, they stand for the churches, the seven candlesticks stand for the churches, and it says that he's in the midst of them. And what John sees is a picture of Jesus being in the midst of his people, even though they were going through difficult times and times of trial, times of tribulation, times of persecution. And what we can understand is no matter what we might face in life, that Jesus wants to be in the very center and in the midst of our lives. And so we've been looking at this, and each one of the churches, that Jesus has a particular word for each church, and there's a challenge for each of those churches, and there's some things that we can learn for today. So you might be here for the first time tonight, and you're coming in the middle of something. But in Ephesus, we looked at how there was a church where the thrill had gone, and the fire had gone out of their hearts, and we looked at how we could restore that fire in our hearts. 
In the church of um, Smyrna, they were, in, uh, they were encouraged to have courage in difficult times. That was a church that was going through persecution. So we looked at restoring courage. We looked at restoring the fire of God. Then we looked at restoring courage to our lives, particularly in challenging times when things don't go your way in life that you'd hoped for. That was the church of Smyrna. And then there was a place called a church in Pergamum. And um, that was what we looked at, the area of compromise. If we just go with the flow of the age in which I live, go with the sign of the times, and we compromise, we, cut, we hold back on some things that God is calling us to do, then it stops his presence. And we looked at how we could deal with overcoming compromise, compromise killing the presence of God. Well, tonight, I want to look at a theme. My theme for tonight is unmasking the Jezebel spirit. And that's where we're going to go in just a few moments. So stay with me because it's, we're going to go on quite a quick tour. I'm going to touch on quite a number of things. And, but that's my theme uh, from what we're looking at tonight. This church had an admonition and an accusation. It was an encouragement, but then also Jesus talked, uh, called them and said there were things in the church that were wrong as well. Let's look at the admonition first of all. He says to the church, first of all, in verse 18, and to the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like flame and fire and feet like brass, I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Jesus encourages a church that was a growing church. This was a church that was live and alive. Things were happening. He says, I know your works. They're growing from when you, even from the last. So this was a church that was moving on in God. To all intents and purposes, this was a place where there was a lot of activity. He says, I know your patience, your deeds, your works. And from the last, they're now even growing all the more. And so what we understand from this church was that it was a place where things were happening. There was a lot of ministry. Lots of things were going on. Lots of people were coming and going. Their patience was growing. Their hearts were growing. And Jesus said to them, this is good. I acknowledge that this is a place where there's activity. This is a place where there is ministry. Uh, people were, were coming to know the, uh, God. Uh, people were being fed. The poor were being helped. This was a church where things were happening. And Jesus says to them right at the very beginning, I encourage you. I applaud you. I notice you. I see what you're doing. And he says there that you have grown even more as from the first. This was a church that was growing in heart, growing in stature, growing with people. This was a place that if you looked at it to all intents and purpose, you would have thought, wow, that's the sort of place that I want to be part of. It's a place where things are happening. It's a place where there are lots of people about. It's a place where there's a load of ministry. It's a place that is growing in God. People's hearts, they're moving together. But that doesn't count for everything. For under the surface, God looks not only at the outside, but he looks at the heart. He looks at the mind. He looks at what goes on. And so there is an accusation. In the midst of that admonition and encouragement, some great things were happening in their lives, and the Christians' lives, and that church. He, there then comes an accusation. You know, the church can be full of activity. A church can be full it can be full of people. It can be full of activity. But what God wants to say is, what is full of your, what's in your heart? What's your heart full of? What matters to God isn't so much that 
the place is full, the activity is full, there's a lot going on. But what he says to the church is, what's really in your heart? You can have a full house, but what's, where's the heart? What's going on in our hearts? And so he says to the church there, this I have against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, who leads the people into immorality and idolatry and eating food sacrificed to idols. And what appears to be going on in the church was that there was a person who set themselves up as a prophet or prophetess. And so, uh, the, the name here, named Jezebel, who led God's people, misled the people through teaching and through prophecies into doing things that were not biblical, doing things that were not God-honoring, doing things with their lives that were not in keeping with what God says, this is the way to live our life, to live your life. And so people in the church were being led through someone who was very religious even to doing things that were not in keeping with the will and heart of God. Do you know it's possible to be in church, to even hear church things, to even have religious things said, and even to be amongst uh, Christian people, but not live our lives according to the will and plan of God. And what happened here was that the people were led into immorality. Give you a bit of background. In this city, the city of Thyatira, there were lots of organizations, working organizations. They were called guilds. So they would have you know, a stonemason's guild. It was like a, a working club. They would have, um, they would dye um, clothing. So they would have the, I don't know what you would call people that dye clothing, but the people that dye clothing, they'd have, sorry, Margaret, dyers. Oh, well, there you go. All right. I, it's great. <laughs> I've learned something. The, a guild of dyers then, whatever you call them. But it was like a working club. Now, this city had numerous, numerous working clubs like this. And to make a living, you had to be part of one of those clubs. If you weren't in the gang, you didn't make a living. It's a bit akin to something like Freemasonry today. It's the sort of thing that was going on. Working guilds, working club. Now, there were hundreds of these across the city. And to in order to function and have a job and to work and make a living in life, you had to join one of these. Now, the problem was this. These working guilds were very pagan. They would throw parties. And these parties had food that had been sacrificed to idols. In that part of the world at that time, their worship was worship of, of other gods. And so the food was given in honor of one god was Lord Serapas. Lord Serapas was a snake god. And so the food was given in honor, the party was given in honor of Lord Serapas and other pagan gods. And so the problem for believers and Christians of the day, in order to function in their job, whether it was a dyer or a stonemason or a baker or a coppersmith or whatever it was, you had to be in one of these organizations. And to go along with the organization, you would have been led into paganism and idolatry. And these parties were pretty bad. They usually got into idolatry and immorality. And so, Jezebel, the prophetess, 
was beginning to give a teaching that was allowing and encouraging people. It's okay. Don't worry. You can cut that corner. It's okay to go along with this. It's okay to go along with that. And so a teaching was coming that was coming from the, from the platform or wherever it was that was leading the people into um, idolatry. Now, that's the background. Jezebel. Most Bible commentators would say this, that because the name Jezebel at that time would have been an infamous name, people did not call their children Jezebel. You would not have been named Jezebel because the name Jezebel was an infamous name of the Bible. In the Old Testament, Jezebel was a queen that led the Israelite nation into complete idolatry. And we'll look at that in a moment or two. So what most Bible commentators say is this, that the person that was leading that church into idolatry had been given the name Jezebel because this person was functioning like Jezebel, the queen of the past. In other words, they were carrying out an attitude or spirit just like Jezebel the infamous queen of many, many centuries before. This wasn't their actual name. But the practices, the teaching, their style, their influence was such that it was very similar to the person Jezebel. It was the attitude of or the influence of, of that person. And so what most commentators say is this is that this person was acting in the influence of. You're stopped in your car. You know, a police officer can pull you over. And if they think that they, you're under the influence of, they can say, excuse me, sir or madam, I cho- chose to stop you. I believe you're under the influence of. And they can test you. And Jezebel was believed to be under the influence of, this person, under the influence of the spirit or attitude Similar and akin to Jezebel, the queen of the Old Testament times. We'll look at that in a moment or two. Now, this person had been loosed in the life of the church. So Jezebel the queen, Jezebel the person, in one kings, in, you don't have to turn to this, but you might just want to make a note of this. So stay with me just for a moment or two, because we're going to go on a bit of a whistle-stop tour. And there's a method in my madness. We're going to go somewhere with this. So just stay there with me just for a moment or two. Because we're going to look at what was happening in this church and how this can happen in any church and how this can happen in any place of life when we look at this spirit or this influence, this attitude or Jezebel attitude or Jezebel influence. We're going to look at that in a moment or two. So Jezebel the queen, to get a bit of an understanding of what was going on and the way this person was working in this church and why this person was called Jezebel, we need to look at the Queen Jezebel from the Old Testament. And in 1 Kings chapter 16 to 19, uh, um, Jezebel the Queen is mentioned. In 1 Kings 16 verse 30, you might just want to make a note of it. You can turn to it if you want to. But um, we read of a king called Ahab in 1 Kings 16. And he marries a young woman called Jezebel. And she was daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. She became Queen, her name was Jezebel. And we read in 1 Kings 16 that when she married Ahab, she 
encouraged and influenced him and the Israelite nation in such a way that they began to worship the god Baal. You might say, no big deal to me. What's that got to do with me? Baal was a nature fertility god of the Sidonians. It was a pagan god of fertility. In other words, so if people wanted to prosper, do well in life, be fruitful, have a good job, get on in life, they worship Baal, the nature god who brought prosperity to life. That was one side. But on the other side of the coin, Baal also, it was about fertility. And so it led people into immorality and revelry. So it was a god of fertility, plenty and revelry. And so Jezebel had an influence on her husband, Ahab, and had an influence on not only on Ahab the king, but on a whole nation of over a million people that came under the spell the intoxication of, and were led into idolatry and the following of this god Baal all through the influence of this queen of the Sidonians. Not only did she lead the people and influence the people into, into idolatry, but she manipulated her husband and began to control him. He was a bit of a weak man, a weak king. He sort of went with the flow. I suppose for a bit of a quiet life at times as well. And would go along. And so she knew how she could get round him. And so she used that opportunity so that she almost began to rule the nation. Not through the king. Through the king she began to rule the nation. Through manipulation and through control. And to rule through him. So that she could begin to exercise influence over a complete nation. She went on, Jezebel, to kill off all of God's prophets. Jezebel hated God and hated the prophets of God. We'll see this in a moment. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, she hunted down. She was the instigator to hunt down and kill all of the prophets of God. Jezebel hates God, hates the word of God, hates the people of God, and particularly hates prophetic people and the prophets of God. And so she hunted them down, and they were all but nearly killed off in 1 Kings chapter 18. Such was the control over the nation, control of her husband, control over people. And the key to the heart of Jezebel was control and power. In 1 Kings chapter 19, such was her ferocity and power that Elijah, an amazing prophet of God, who had an amazing experience in calling down fire on all of the prophets of Baal, whereby the whole nation of Israel turned back to God. He had a revival that on the revival and all of the nation turning back to God and fire came down from heaven, he ordered all the prophets of Baal to be slaughtered, and they were, and all of God's people, the whole nation, returned to God. When Jezebel the queen heard this, she said, I'm going to kill you. And he ran for his life and sat under a broom tree, depressed, wanting as if he wanted to die. Such was the power, the intoxication, the intimidation, the control and manipulation of this queen that even the prophet of God wanted to get rid of himself. Beware if you're a prophet or prophetic people when Jezebel is around. She schemed to get wealth. Always never satisfied. Jezebel was never satisfied with being queen, with having all power and gaining power through her husband. She plotted to get even more. Now, her husband, Ahab, we read this in 1 Kings. Her husband, Ahab, wanted a man called Naboth's vineyard. He wanted his vineyard because it looked good. 
and he wanted more land. He went off in a sulk because this man called Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. So Jezebel's wife plotted to have Naboth schemed and plotted to get him into a position that he could be killed and his vineyard taken off him and given to her husband. She wasn't happy with what she had. She wanted more. And so at the heart of Jezebel, and the spirit of Jezebel is a controlling, manipulating, intoxicating heart that wants power, will do anything to kill off the people of God, the, the kingdom of God, and the prophet of God, and will use all religious means to do so, and wants more and more of wealth. At the very heart of Jezebel is this idea of more, I'll get more, I want more, and sits on wealth and wants to sit on her own throne. Finally, in 2 Kings 9, 30, just before her end, in 2 Kings 9, chapter uh, 30, before her end, her husband Ahab was eventually overthrown from power. You know, all bad things do come to an end. Be encouraged. It doesn't go on forever. And her husband was overthrown with power, and a man called Jehu went to Jezebel um, in, in the palace And he had overthrown um, her husband Ahab. And when he went to go and deal with Jezebel, it says that she prepared herself, painted herself, uh, made up her hair, as it were. And she was looking to seduce him using um, seduction. And this is where immorality we're led into, can be led into immorality. But Jehu didn't fall for her seduction, called upon the eunuchs that were there and said, are you with me? They threw her down and she was trampled under his horse. And the Bible's very, very um, powerful when it says her blood spattered under the hooves of Jehu. You get a bit of a picture of this queen. Now do you understand why people didn't call their children Jezebel? This is why most Bible commentators say the person Jezebel in Revelation probably wasn't called Jezebel. You just didn't do that because this name carried this stigma. This was a powerful woman, a powerful person, and a powerful against God. Now, so most Bible commentators say this is a spirit, an attitude, and a spirit. So you'll say to me, well, where, where are you going to get that from? You know... Um, Jezebel in the Old Testament tried to kill Elijah and the prophets of God. If you then come into the New Testament, you see a man called John the Baptist. You might be aware of this story. But in the New Testament, a man called John the Baptist comes and it says he came in the spirit of Elijah. Very interesting this. It says that John the Baptist prepared the way of Jesus and it says he came in the spirit of Elijah. Now, interesting that, you can come in the spirit of the heart of and the attitude and spirit of. And when they saw Jesus, they thought, are you the Elijah? Are you coming also in the spirit of the Elijah? The Elijah spirit, the prophet spirit, the bringing in the kingdom of God. Now it's interesting that Jezebel in the Old Testament sought to kill Elijah, the prophet of God. John the Baptist was the one, it says, who came in the spirit of Elijah. And do you know what happened? A man called Herod, a weak king. Does this ring a bell? Ahab, a weak king. A man called Herod, a weak king. Married to a lady called Herodias. And she got her daughter to dance before the king. And she manipulated and schemed the situation to such that Herod would do anything for her daughter, her beautiful daughter. Such was the dance that Herod said at the end of it, I'll do whatever you want. And they said, bring me the head of John the Baptist. Herodias, the Jezebel spirit, rose up to kill off in the spirit of Elijah. 
It's the spirit of Jezebel. This, this is an age-old spirit, a, a time a, a memorial spirit that is around. It rose in Herodias. And so we find that Herodias seeks to scheme, manipulate, and control her husband to have power to get rid of the spirit of Elijah, the prophet of God. And so in Revelation chapter 2, we come again, and this is why most commentators would say, this is a spirit we deal with. It's an attitude and a spirit that is opposed to the kingdom of God. Now the name Jezebel means this. I found this out as I looked at this. It means this, unwedded. The name literally means unwedded. Will not yield. Will be unsubmitted. In other words, won't be wedded. Won't buy into anything. Won't join anything. Won't be joined to. Unwedded. Won't be submissive. Won't yield to. Why? Because it wants power. Jezebel wanted power herself. So would never join. Never be yielded to. So wherever you see people that won't, 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 won't be joined. This is why the Bible says, God says, um, he commands blessing where there's unity. Where hearts are joined. But if our hearts can't be wedded, can't be joined, where the hearts aren't wedded and joined, then Jezebel seems to thrive. The, the actual function of this heart and spirit is to be unwedded, unsubmissive. That's what it literally means. Very interesting that it was Jezebel. And so because of this, so wherever you feel and find that people won't be together, this, this spirit has potential to function. This spirit has potential to function. And this was what was happening in the church. It's unwedded. In other words, it won't be, it's unsubmitted to godly authority. It won't yield to God. It won't give in to God. It wouldn't yield and give and yield heart to God in any way. It would be unwedded. It won't bind to. won't join in. won't be part of. And so where you find churches where everybody does their own thing, you usually find a Jezebelic spirit because it's unweddedness. An unyieldedness to one another and ultimately to God. So wherever you get, if you go you join a company and, and everyone's at each other's throat and they're not, they're unwedded. They're all against the bosses and the bosses against them. It can, there's this unweddedness, this unsubmissive thing. Now it's particularly unsubmissive and unwedded in yielding to the authority of God, the heart of God. And God's authority is a good authority. It's one that's, that's uh, just and true. And so it's un- it, the, the function means unwedded. It w- won't take godly authority. It, it becomes rebellious. It looks to recoil from and will not join to. And when it recoils from, it wants to do its own thing. I'll have it my way, said Frank Sinatra as he sung a great song. I did it my way. It's the spirit of the age in which we now live. Everybody wants to do their own thing. There's a Jezebelic thing in the world at large. Wants everything our way. And there's something in this heart and spirit. Now this queen did this with Ahab. Always wanted it her way. It's got to be my way. Why? Because it was rebellious. She was rebellious. She wanted things that would reject God's authority and want it for themselves. My, me, my and I. That's the sinful nature of mankind. It's a powerful spirit. It's been before time. It came upon this woman called Jezebel in the Old Testament. And it was upon somebody in the church in Revelation. But it's been right from the very fall when mankind fell away from God. So it's powerful, but not all powerful, but not all powerful. We'll see how we deal with that in a moment. And so it's unwedded. It won't accept godly authority. It's rebellious. And because it's rebellious, it says me, my and I, it wants control. So wherever you find controlling influences that are powerful, 
you find this unwedded thing. You can, you can get it in a marriage where one party will control the other. And so in a marriage, there's an unweddedness because there's no mutual submission. You find this, you find this taking place as unweddedness. And so it wants control and um, wants it my way. And to get that control, it will use intimidation, domination and manipulation. It would intimidate. And so Jezebel said to Elijah, I'm going to kill you. So he ran for his life and sat under a broom tree and wanted to become so depressed. And so to control, to have it their way or your way, this attitude, this spirit um, uses intimidation. So where you find a husband that's intimidating. This is a Jezebelic spirit at work. Where you find it uses domination. You don't have any say. I'm completely right. You're completely wrong. Where the person is... Um, can you remember? There was a, used to be a TV series some time ago. It was a um, TV series called Sorry. A guy called Ronnie Corbett. And she would say to her son, Timothy. His name was Timothy. And it was always language Timothy. And um, he had to wear a jumper. And it, it, the, the whole program was based around... He was tied to his mum, and his mum dominated his life, in other words. It was very funny. It was all funny stuff. It was on some years ago now. But she controlled him. She smothered him. It was, it was a joke. It was a comedy, a parody, looking at the power of control and being smothered. And so domination is that sense of control and smothering. It's manipulation. You say something nice. You ingratiate yourself with someone to get your own way. There's a reason. You don't just give away love because, on compliments because you just want to give it away. Manipulation is giving away something to get something. And so it's much more subtle. So it can sound really good. And it can even sound very Christian and come from great Christian people. But it can be quite manipulative. And so control is used in intimidation, domination, and manipulation. We see in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, that it says, you suffer this Jezebel who is called a prophetess. And so it can be very religious as well. Very religious. Where you find in churches, churches that are very religious, religious spirits, people at each other's throats, against leaders, leaders fighting with each other, then you find the spirit at work. Chasing people off. People always believe you find the spirit at work. People not submission. No sense of submission. Mutual submission. Where we'll submit to God and submit to him. And say, God, whatever your will be, we'll do whatever your will be. You find the spirit at work. So it can be very religious. It's intoxicating and seducing. And this is why in Revelation chapter 2 it says, you are led by her teaching and misled into immorality. And so it can be very seducing and intoxicating. I was speaking this morning at Long Eaton School about how I knew someone that was a, um, a consultant anaesthetist. And um, there's something about the spirit that can anaesthetize us, whereby you don't realize you're in that atmosphere. Something amazing happened to me. In 1996, I had the opportunity to spend a month in Brazil. A group of Brazilians came over to Scotland we were in Aberdeen at the time. 
And this group of Brazilians came to Scotland saying the Holy Spirit had led them to come to Presbyterian Scotland because Presbyterian Scotland had been to Brazil many, many years before and brought revival. And they were now coming back to Scotland. And I was in a church at the time. And so we went over to Brazil and we saw churches in revival. We did a tour of all these churches and just were in the atmosphere. I cried and I cried. I spent my time crying in every church I went to. The presence of God was incredible. The believers were awesome. Every church was in revival, no matter what type of church it was. I came into that atmosphere, and it was amazing. And then when I came back into the Western, uh, came back to Scotland, I could tell the difference. Nothing was nothing wrong with Scotland. I'm just saying the town I was in at the time. I could tell the revival difference. It's intoxicating, the atmosphere that we're in at time. We sometimes don't realize. And so Jezebel can be intoxicating, seducing. Sits enthroned. It's akin in Revelation 17 and verse 18 to the woman sitting on, in purple, enthroned on a throne, in luxury and in pleasure. And so Jezebel also, is spirit, um, it's all about, and Jezebel tried to get Naboth's vineyard, it's about material things, wanting more. There's nothing wrong with having things in life. Nothing wrong with that at all. And having nice things, and even having a great home, and, and having things. But it's when these things take hold of our lives to such that we um, give more credence to things than we do to God. And it's subtle. It's seducing and lays hold of us. And so Jezebel is it's material. It it's lives in the material world. Doesn't want people to pray. Doesn't like anything to be pro- prophetic. And, if, and this is why you'll find in the Western church, um, prayer gatherings are usually under a sense of attack because people, we, we suffer from the material. We're more the here and now. And when I speak of material, I don't mean to say you're after lots of possessions, but what you see is what you get. We live in the here and now. And Jezebel is very material, wanting more. What's the remedy as we conclude? Jesus gives a remedy to the spirit. It can happen to any church. It can happen in any marriage. It can happen at any office. It can happen in the world at large. The world in which we live today is particularly material. Even though it's being shaken... It's very much rebellious, my and I. Very much that way. Rebelling against the hand of God, God and, and, and can open our hearts to the Jezebel spirit. What's the remedy? The remedy in our hearts and in our lives. And perhaps you maybe have come upon that you've had someone close to you that's been very manipulative over your life. You've come under Jezebel influence. Maybe you had someone that's been very dominating in your heart and life. There's a potential to come under Jezebel influence. Maybe you've had someone that um, has been very intimidating and controlling. It's a Jezebel influence. People of power can be very controlling. What's the remedy? The remedy is this. Number one, the remedy is repent. Jesus said to the church and to Jezebel, I give you time to repent. Repentance. Repentance is about submission. To repent is to submit my life to God. We talk about repentance as Christians. As when I became a Christian, I repented. But repentance is, a, is walking in a lifestyle. Repentance is the changing of our mind. It's the reversal of my life. It's to do a U-turn in your heart and life. To repent is to hand over my entire life to God. Sometimes in our lives, there are situations and circumstances that we don't like that go out of the way or out of our control. We say, God, we want you to do this. To live in a repentant lifestyle would be to say, God, I'm handing my life over to you. 
I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my circumstance. I'm going to give you this situation. I'm not going to go on my high horse, me, my, and I, and my way, and I say, and this, but I'm going to give you. It's not being passive, but it's saying to God, I want you, God, to have your way, your way in my life, your way in my church, your way in our leaders, your way at work, your way in my marriage. The danger is that we recoil, and that's what Jezebel loves, is to recoil and fight, but to repent. And so Jesus says, repent. Submit, yield to God, open up your heart. The first area is repentance. Second is humility. When we come with repentance, we say that I need you, God. I'm going to give you my life, God. I'm going to give you this circumstance. Is there something in your life right now that you're trying to deal with it in your own way? Is there something that upsets us? Is there something that worries us? Is there something that's happening? It can happen in church life. It can happen at your work. It could be in your marriage. It could be something that you need to shake off. Maybe you felt controlled then come and repent. Come and open up your heart to God and say, God, I want you in my life. I want you in this circumstance. I want you in this situation. There's something powerful happens. When you come and repent, the second thing happens and it comes, we come and humble ourselves. Humility is the second thing. If you want to unmask and unhitch yourself from the Jezebel spirit as a church, if we want to be free, then we need to be repentant in a lifestyle And then the second thing is humility. Humility gives, it yields, it gives ground to God. It says, I give, I yield, I give in to you, God. I'm going to give in to you. But Jezebel would never give in. She would say, no, I want it my way. And so to come with humility, repentance, humility. Repentance and humility also speak of a third thing, sacrifice. Could we give our lives to a cause greater than ourselves? Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Can you give your life to a cause greater than yourself? We have imbibed the spirit of our age which says, your rights, it's your way, I want this. But there's a cause greater than I. It's the cause of God, it's the cause of Christ. Something really powerful to yield to and give our lives to God in. Sometimes in life, there are things that I can't fathom out. There's things that I'd like to work out. There's things that don't go my way. And I say to God, why is this not happening? And yet I sometimes I come to this point and I battle. And I battle with these things. I pray with God. And then I come to the point that Jesus comes to where he says, yet not my will be done. Your will be done, Lord. That's sacrifice. The place of sacrifice says, not my will be done, but yet your will be done. God where in your life is there something that you need the will of God don't fall into the spirit of this age which says I'll work it out I'll sort it this is what I'm going to do you're wrong I'm right your will be done God so humility repentance sacrifice to a cause but if you believe that God is greater that he is all-powerful, that God is mighty, he's the creator. If you believe that, then if you really truly believe that, and we lay hold of that, then we can give ourselves to that cause. He's the greatest cause, he's the creator of the universe, almighty and all-powerful. If we truly believe that, then we're in a position where we're able to say, your will be done, a cause greater than I. The problem is we have imbibed the lie of the age in which we live that says, you can work it out. Because you, as a human being, are in charge of your destiny. You're the captain of your soul. It's called humanism. And you don't realize how many Christians, myself included, fall for that lie. It's a seducing thing. It's 
part of the Jezebel spirit that seduces the age in which we live. But through humility, repentance and sacrifice. And then finally, prayer. Call upon God. To pray is to call. It's to reach out to God, to call upon him. It's amazing how we'll fight it out. We'll slug it out. It's, a, it's amazing how in church life or at work, but to pray, to pray for someone, pray for the situation, pray for your life, pray for your husband, pray for your wife, pray for our leaders, pray for your church, pray for your town, pray for your manager at work. When you deal with this, it's a spirit. And so it needs us to come with humility, repentance, sacrifice, and prayer. See, Jezebel hates the prophetic spirit, and prophetic people are susceptible to the kick of this spirit. Jezebel hates the prophetic spirit. In fact, it will seek to chase off the prophetic spirit from a church. It will seek to chase off the prophetic spirit and chase it out of the church because it hates the Elijah spirit. And it was Jezebel that went after. And so we need to come with prayer, humility, repentance, and sacrifice. Let's pray together. We're going to take communion. And as we take communion tonight, we're just going to come to our our hearts before God. And we're going to yield to him and open up our hearts to God in a moment or two. I I I wonder if, if, uh, Steve, if if you could come. That would be great. Uh, I really appreciate that. And we just invite you, Andrew, Andrew's going to lead us as we take communion together. And we, we would just invite, as we just open up our hearts right now. And it's, this is the place for humility. This is the place for sacrifice. This is the place to open up our hearts so that there's no sense of power, no sense of control, no sense of intimidation, no intoxication can come upon your life or upon our lives or even over this place. Just gonna, thanks, Andrew. We're going to come to communion and... Uh... It's a fantastic opportunity for us not only to remember what Jesus did in giving his life for us, not only an opportunity to make a declaration that he's returning as a coming king, but also in our hearts to examine our own lives. Paul, Paul wrote in um, Corinthians that as we come to a point of communion, let's examine our own hearts. Let's explore what is going off in our own lives. Let's consider where we stand before God. And just in these moments, let's use this as an opportunity to reflect on that message that Adrian's brought tonight. Is there anything of me, anything of my life that is not in right standing before God tonight? I really feel in the spirit there's a word of freedom over us in this place tonight. Paul also wrote that He spilled his blood. He purchased freedom for us through giving his life. I'm just going to invite those that are serving just to come out. And just as we examine our own hearts and standing before God tonight, let me just share some amazing words from the book of Romans. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. 
when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, he will certainly be, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Tonight we stand in an undeserved place of privilege as we come to share communion. Nothing we could ever have done could have put us right before God. Everything that Jesus did in laying his life down for us has brought us into this place where we can say we are in a wonderful relationship with a living God. Hallelujah. In a moment or two, I'm going to invite you to just come out and our servers are going to serve you communion. And after that, uh, we're going to take an opportunity to pray with people. The uh, prayer ministry team will make themselves available straight after communion. If you, if you feel that there's something being controlling spirit over your life, whether it's addiction or manipulation, uh, we, we just want to declare freedom over your life. We want to stand with you and pray that there'll be a breaking through and a pressing into freedom. For your life tonight. Oh Jesus. Lord Jesus. Tonight we declare again. That it's through your blood. You purchase freedom for us. Oh Lord God. I thank you that tonight we can stand in this place of privilege. Undeserved privilege. And wonderful relationship with you. Because you broke chains of sin. What would seek to control us. And brought us into freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. I just want to invite, if we can, just a a sort of a declaration thing. Paul wrote there that we stand in a place of privilege, undeserved privilege. I wonder for those of us that can, if we just stand. Tonight in this place, we stand in this place of undeserved privilege. And tonight it might be that you feel in your own life that you're not in that place of wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you just to come and speak as the prayer ministry team are going to make themselves available at at communion. Uh, You come and talk to one of them. Get your relationship right with God tonight. Seek him with your heart. Examine our hearts. Oh Jesus, we just want to invite you just to come in a moment or two. Steve, would you just lead us in song?